Welcome to Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with Science Advisor Matt Moniz, and filling in tonight, John Brightman. Good evening, guys. How are you? What's uh, going on, Tim? How we doing? And uh, we are back here on WBSM after missing last week's show. Hold on, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to turn down, well, first of all, I'll turn down the computer. I don't know how to stop the theme song over there. I think I did it. Okay. So uh, we are here to talk with you about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. A little bit of a funky start here, because for some reason, I can't connect to the cameras remotely. So rather than have to be stuck over there behind the corner where there are no cameras, yeah, we'll just leave it on this one shot. and People can see us when, when we get up during the commercial break or during the news break, and we have to like pull up our pants and all that kind of stuff. So... But uh, you can watch the show on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com if you are sitting around at home. You know, I know a lot of times people are out and about on Saturday nights. They're doing things. Uh, you want to be able to listen to the show wherever you go. I recommend downloading the WBSM app. It's free. And you get crystal clear FM sound of whatever is going on here in the studio. So whether it be Spooky South Coast or you can listen to some of our other programming during the rest of the week. Uh, but it's a, it's a really great app. And eventually we'll start doing a little bit more with some of the... We can send out app alerts to people. And I haven't really put out a lot of spooky South Coast app alerts, but we can start doing that in the future. Because I'm the guy that's in charge of all that stuff here. So if I want to do it, we can do it. Uh, but <laughs> the uh, the other app you can get to is the Paranormal Radio app. If you are uh, somebody, somebody who listens to a lot of different paranormal podcasts and you're looking for a way to kind of aggravate that all uh, aggravate aggregate all of that into one place well ag- aggravate could work too only if it's trying to get our show when we're supposed to be starting <laughs> but the uh the great thing about the paranormal radio app is not only does it have all these great current shows but it has a lot of classic art bell so if you're a big coast to coast fan a big art bell fan you can get a lot of those classic shows right there 24 hours a day they always have classic art bell channels running and uh, that show that app carries us live and it has all of our podcasts available through it as well and you can get Midnight in the Desert there, Monday through Friday, if you want to listen to that, with my buddy Dave Schrader, or sometimes if I'm guest hosting. But So there's uh, lots of ways to consume the show, but we're glad everybody that joins us. What just happened? Why did it switch to... It's, it keeps popping off on, on off and online. Well... Mine's working. Well, you just have to ignore that, because not much I can do about it as the show's going on. If you're watching on WBSM, on uh, Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, and it keeps doing that, just go to WBSM.com, listen to the live feed there, or download one of those apps that I mentioned, and you'll be able to hear the show as we keep going. I can't really worry about the video. so. But we are, we're glad to be back. Last week, of course, was uh, a wrestling event. I decided not to have a show. 
because the previous wrestling event was supposed to end on time for me to be able to get here. Had a guest booked and everything. And ended up having to put that off and start an hour late. So for last week's, I said, nah, you know what? We're not going to book a show. And normally when I do that, what ends up happening is they get done at like 9.45. And I could have made it here on time. Thankfully, I made the right call last week. Because we started late. Things went a little bit late. And uh, and I didn't leave there till almost, uh, I think it was like 11.15, 11.30 when everything ended. Wow. So made the right call for once. Uh, but uh, there'll be next week. There won't be a show because we'll be at uh, Stephanie and I will be in Braintree for the event that Jeff Campbell's put together, and then the week after that we will have a show. But then the week following there might not be a show because there's wrestling that week. It's the final shows for House of Bricks. They're uh, they're shutting their doors after ten years. Really? Yeah. It's it's become a difficult thing for them because the the guy who helps run it moved out of state. So he has to come back for all the shows. And then, you know, they're just kind of burnt out of doing shows for the past 10 years. They don't, it's, they're not money makers. Mm-hmm. They're designed to be fundraisers. So nobody goes home with any money in their pocket. So it's, it's a pretty big investment to both time-wise and money-wise to go rent the ring, and yep. rent the U-Haul and all that stuff. Uh, so I think they're just a little bit, you know, kind of burnt out from everything. So they're going to they're gonna close their doors. I honestly think they're going to start, you know, getting the itch. Maybe like around this time next year, and they'll put on one or two shows, yeah, just as special events. But in terms of running kind of regular shows, I think they're gonna they're gonna be kind of be done with that. So where where will all the wrestlers go? Well, they so the great part about House of Bricks is it's all wrestlers that wrestle all over New England. Oh, okay. And then they come back to do House of Bricks shows to like give back because Brickhouse Baker helped train a lot of these guys. Mm-hmm. He either trained a lot of the guys that are out there now or he wrestled with them and against them back in the 90s. So what they've done is they've created this this culture where he has his little wrestling school where he trains people and then those guys that are learning, he puts them in the ring with these veterans that he's known for years so that the veterans can kind of be their first experience in the ring. And so a lot and because he's got such a great reputation he's such a fantastic guy everybody wants to come back and help so he gets guys that retired like 10 years ago that'll come back that will come in and be part of the shows because they're like okay you know like new england wrestling hall of famers come back and and wrestle these kids that are probably having their first or second match ever and it's a really cool vibe when that happens but uh and the fans, like the fans who go to these things, they've been going to indie wrestling shows around here for 20, 30 years. So they pop when they see these old guys yeah. that they, you know, that I've never even heard of. But we'll, you know, we'll get somebody on the card and I'll be like, does the audience know who this guy is? And Jordan, who, who runs the whole thing, he'll be like, don't worry, they know. So it's, uh, it's, it's kind of fun to see that and to see the reaction that people have. You know, like, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Reverend Redemption. Yes. Derek. Yeah. Uh, so I only know him as Derek. I never saw him wrestle. Or if I did, I, I don't remember. And so to me, he's always Derek. Nicest guy in the world. Quiet guy, polite, always comes up, handshake, hug, whatever. You know? Th- then there was the one show where he came out as, as Reverend Redemption. And I didn't announce him as a pro wrestling, New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Famer. And he went after me in the ring, like got in my face. <laughs> 
He's like, I'm a Hall of Famer. You announced me as a Hall of Famer. I was like, oh, geez, what happened to you, Derek? But like they, when they you know, get into yeah. character, it's so convincing. And that's, that's the thing about it. It's like everybody comes up to me all the time like, this guy's such a jerk. This guy's such an a-hole. No, they're all awesome guys in real life. It's they're just, just so show. good. Yeah, they're so good at performing those characters. Do you think somebody will pick up the mantle and try and keep it alive and running? No, I think I think they'll keep doing, you know, they'll keep doing shows with other companies, which is good because like let them go out and make some money. Mm. Maybe when there's a call for a fundraiser, then you know, maybe they'll either they'll come back or some of these guys will work with other guys and maybe put these cuz a lot of wrestler a lot of wrestling companies are always doing fundraisers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they'll find yeah. a way to keep giving back. It just I don't know if it'll be under the House of Bricks mantle. Uh, but, you know, never say never. They they also said November 30th was going to be the last show ever, and then they added a show for December because somebody asked them if they would do a fundraiser. So <laughs> it's possible that we'll have more of that. But I really, you know, I was hoping that we could do more with House of Bricks. I wanted to do a live show from one of their events sometime. Um, you know, that didn't work out. And then... I would have loved to have had some of the wrestlers come in here, but usually they're working on Saturday nights. So it's, but it's been a lot of fun. And I'm glad that they asked me a few years ago to get involved. You know, being a lifelong wrestling fan, uh, it was nice to get a chance to kind of work behind the scenes a little bit and see how it all works. Uh, I got to cut my first wrestling promo, which was fun. <laughs> when they said, just grab the camera and go record something. And this is right after I'd gotten beat up by the thunder from down under michael foster they're like take the camera and go go just say whatever you want and uh and i cut a promo i I went down into i think the bathroom the locker room or something and i put the camera on top of a space heater on a radiator and i kind of hunched down and i looked into the camera and i started like doing that thing where you point off screen like you know getting real intense with the camera and uh, and i had no idea if it was any good or not and so i brought it up and i handed it to jordan and i said jordan I tried to cut a promo. I don't know if you're going to like it or anything. I won't be offended if you don't use it. Just I would appreciate any pointers if you think that it's terrible. Tell me what, what I could do better. And then I gave it to him. And then like a couple of days later when he actually went and reviewed the footage, he's like, dude, that was awesome. That was exactly what we were looking for. I was like, oh, good. <laughs> I don't know if I could have done the same thing in the ring. It's hard sometimes for me to stay in, in character in, in, in the ring. Yeah. Well, because what happens is because they're all such great guys – like when they get in my face i laugh a little bit and so i kind of had to like incorporate that into my okay if you want to do that yeah. but like it'd be funny because they'd get in my face like there's this great guy uh, uh right stu- uh hot stuff steven lust right stuff right stuff steven lust and uh he'll get in my face and start you know he calls everybody a chud that's his gimmick you know get out of my way chud and he'll get right up in my face and grab the microphone and be like, you're just a chud. You shouldn't be able to announce. You shouldn't be allowed to announce me. But, and like I'm standing there as he's yelling and berating me and trying not to laugh because it's it's good. Like they're so good at what they do. And, uh, you know, I don't mean to, to expose all the secrets, but like when they told me I was going to take bumps, you know, like we're going to have him go after you. So, you know, you have to be ready for this. Uh, I was, you know, I, I'd taken bumps before. So the first wrestling event I ever did was this guy, Brian Dorn, who is the, uh, the wrestling ghost hunter. He is a paranormal investigator and a pro wrestler out in Minnesota. He brought me out for an event out there, and he runs a company where Tim Dennis from Darkness Radio is the commissioner of their company. Mm-hmm. And so when I came out there, the idea was that I was going to do a ghost hunt with him, and then the next night at a wrestling event, I was going to be a guest ring announcer. And so that night, they had... They had Tim Dennis turn heel. 
So he was the good guy commissioner, you know, the, the, the fan favorite who was making all the matches the fans wanted to see. And so that night they had him turn into a bad guy and go against the fans and side with the, the heels and all that kind of stuff. And so I had to be the one to be like, you know, Tim, what are you doing? This isn't you. This isn't who you are. And then he attacked me. And then I got to hit him back. So I had to learn, you know, how to take a punch, and I had to learn how to throw, well, throw an elbow. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I've, I've taken bumps before. Like, that was it. That's all that I'd ever done. And so they're like, well, we're going to have him just, like, knock you down and beat you up. And I was like, I don't know what to do in that situation. <laughs> and, uh, and Michael Foster says to me, he goes, listen, when I hit you, go down and don't move. Just go down and I'll take it from there. And so all I thought to myself is just make sure you sell it. Make sure you make it look real. And so when he came up and he hit me, he hit me with the elbow, which basically just means he's coming at you flat with his arm so that it looks like he's hitting you, but he's not. And so as soon as he does that, I crumple up and I hit the ground. And then he starts dropping knees on me. And he starts punching me in the head. And he's dropping knees and he's punching me in the head. And, he's going, and not one of them was hitting me. But it looked real. And I wasn't, he didn't connect with me at all. And it was, it was awesome. And so I, you know, I tried to sell it. And then the, the next time I got a serious beatdown, it was kind of the same thing. But he tattooed up my, my head. And he made it look like I got the crap beat out of me. But in actuality, he didn't actually touch me. Like when he was hitting me, he was kind of just kind of like doing one of these. So it kind of, because that's what happens when they blade. Uh, they don't really blade anymore. Mm -hmm. Like in WWE, they don't allow it. But if you look at old wrestlers, their foreheads are filled with all these creases. That's because they would keep razor blades in their wristbands. And so when somebody would beat them down and they'd go down in the corner, when nobody was looking, they'd pull the razor blade out of the wristband and they'd slice their forehead because you don't really feel it when it goes across your forehead. Uh. So they would slice their forehead. And then what would happen is the blood that comes out of the forehead mixes with the sweat that's already on your face. It so it makes it look worse. like it's worse than it is. Yeah. And then when they do that, when they, when they cut themselves, it doesn't really like bleed or anything. So what it happens is the other guy has to kind of punch them. And when he punches them, he twists the knuckle and that kind of pulls the skin apart a little bit to make it bleed. And so like, that's kind of what he was doing. Only I hadn't bladed, but he was doing the same kind of thing. So when I got up, it looked like my whole head was, you know, all beat up and bruised and everything. Huh. So it's, it was very, very uh, educational what I've been able to do in house of bricks. So that's uh a couple shows left for fundraisers. Come on out and check them out if you want to do that. But moving into kind of some of the stuff we were going to talk about tonight now, we're going to have a guest on tonight. She was unable to make it because she runs what they run a store. Yes. <clears throat> Is that the case? So that's uh, the store was so busy that she wasn't able to join us. But there's this big horror convention coming up in Stratford Springs, Connecticut. Stratford Springs, Connecticut, sorry. Uh, and it's happening December 6th, 7th, and 8th. And so it's not quite Christmas time, so it's not going to mess up your holiday plans, but it's at just the right time that going would be a great Christmas present to yourself, and it's called the Wicked Weekend. Yes. And this is this is something that they're doing. This is the first time ever. Yes, this is the first time that they're putting on this show. Um, Angelica and her husband own uh, a company that sells horror merchandise, and they basically sell the replica masks. They sell collectible toys. Um sign merchandise from different actors and actresses that you can get stuff like that and uh they decided to put this show together 
and bring it right before Christmas time so people could, A, come in, have fun, and then, because there are really no other shows that time of year, um, and then also, if people wanted to do some type of Christmas shopping or get a gift to be able to meet, uh, a, you know, one of their favorite actors or actresses that might be there, they could do that. An actual nightmare before Christmas. Yes, you could look at it that way, yeah. That's a, that's a good way to put it, nightmare before Christmas. But it's going to be a good show. It's, um, you know, a, a lot of great guests that are there. The price to get in is very, very reasonable, um, considering other shows that you can go to. And the guest lineup is great. Um, I believe right now they're at 15, 16 guests that they have going. It might even be a little bit more. I know you're one of them, Tim. Well, you were nice enough to recommend me as a, as a person to uh, involve with this. And, and as somebody who is, you know, in awe of uh, some of the people who are in these films. I mean, listen, acting is hard enough. Like, horror acting is, is even harder. And when you have people that are good at it. I mean, obviously, we all, we love the cheesy movies where it's like ridiculously over the top. But we're dealing with people who are in some films where, you know, these are top films oh we're not we're not talking about like independent horror no uh we're talking about like big so why don't we tell them some of the people that are going to be there william forsyth is one of them i mean if anybody knows who he is he's he's from raising arizona he's in um the rock with uh sean connery one of my favorite movies it is a great movie um he's in that and he's also in House of uh, Devil's Rejects, and he's also in the Halloween movie, Rob Zombie's Halloween. So he's he's, gonna be he's one of those guys where uh, when you say, "Hey, remember that movie?" and the bad guy that was in that movie, it was probably William Forsythe. Or like, "Hey, remember that movie?" the cop that was in it because he true, does yeah, play he a, lot a lot of roles. Of that's a cop. But he was in Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, sometimes, as a cop. Sometimes it's tar- it's hard though because when you see his character, you're not sure. Yes, like is he a good guy? Is he a yep. bad guy? He's he's got kind of that that air yeah, about him. Yeah, he was on Boardwalk Empire. Yes, and I loved played, him on that. And show. he played a bad guy in mm-hmm. that. So he he and he's in a new movie, a new TV show right now, um, and I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me. But he actually plays Edgar Hoover. And, oh, okay. and he plays the president and, and runs the country in the well, movie that he's the, in. I mean, like like I said, you're gonna when you see him, on, you know, go to the the website and you look at him, you're like, oh, I know that guy. Yep. You know, and that's a lot of these uh, actors and actresses that get involved in these horror shows, you know, you might not recognize them because usually they're under a mask or they're under makeup or anything, but he's going to be one of those faces that you recognize right away. Yes. Um, um, Tywin Means, another one that's going to mm-hmm. be there, and he's in that new movie that just came out. Or, or it comes out next week, I think. Yeah, the new uh, John Cena movie yes. where he plays a, a fireman. It's like a kid's movie. Yep. Yeah, he'll, he's he's in that. But he's also been in a ton of stuff. I mean, he was X-Men. Sabretooth in the X-Men. Yep. Um, Michael Myers in Halloween. Mm-hmm. And he, he's another one of those that you don't really see him in a comedy. And this is going to be like his first real comedy role that he does. I got a feeling it's going to be like a breakout for him, too. Yes. Like he's going to get more of these type of roles. Yes, I agree. And, uh, and I know uh, Kane Hodder is yep. going to be there, who most people know as nice Jason, Jason. Uh, but is also a paranormal investigator yes. with the Hollywood Ghost Hunters. Uh, so he'll be there. Um, let's see who else. Was, I mean, there's so many people. Alex Vincent, the little boy from Chucky, mm-hmm. um, who's not a little boy anymore, obviously. <laughs> well, that'd be um, weird. But him. Uh, and the mom. And the mom. And um, they're bringing an actual Chucky doll that was used on set. Oh wow! During the movie, and, you, and I know you can get your photo taken with yes. all of them. And the mom from that movie—I'm uh, blanking on her name right now—but for those who Catherine Hicks, I believe, yes, it is. Well, and she was also the mom on Seventh Heaven, right? 
Uh, yes, and so. she's also the lady in Candyman. Oh, I haven't seen that in so long. Yep. But that, that movie's, what, 25, 30 years old? Well, they're remaking it. Yes. And th- when they announced that they were remaking it, there was like a big backlash from the fans that said, well, the only way you can remake it is if you still use Tony Todd. Yep. And from what I understand, he is... He has he been in, cast. He has been brought back for it from my understanding. And he's going to be the main character? Yep. So that's, I mean, that's perfect. Uh, also, I told my mom, I sent my mom a Facebook message uh, that I'm going to actually take a photo and send it to her of me with Gage. Oh, okay. From Pet Cemetery. Yep, he's going to be there. Miko yep. Hughes. Yes, Miko's going to be there. Because that's, to this day, she still talks about that being one of the few moments in a horror movie that ever scared her. So a little inside information about this show. I've been talking with Angelique closely, obviously, because she's taken quite a few clients from me. Um, we're working on possibly getting one of the cats. Oh, really? Yes, because oh, there's like eight of them sure. that shot the movie. Um, so she's trying to get one of them to be able to do the photo op with, with Miko and with the father. Oh, that'd be very cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The um, Dale Midkiff. Yes, oh, Dale. Yep. So there's, I mean, really, there's going to be so many stars there to go meet. What I like about this event is they've kept the ticket price affordable to get into. And normally that's what happens with a lot of these conventions. Yes. John does all these all over the country. I'm sure you can vouch for the fact that they keep the ticket the, the ticket prices cheap because they want to get you through the door. Yes. But then when you get through the door, that's when you have to start dropping all kinds of money because every autograph is eighty bucks or a hundred bucks, and every even taking a selfie with somebody is fifty bucks, yep. and all these all these photo ops are three four hundred dollars. But not only are they keeping it affordable to walk through the door, but all the prices for all that stuff is affordable, too. Yeah, pretty much that's what she had said to me at the beginning, that she wanted to keep this affordable and friendly for anybody to come in, whether they have 50 bucks or 100 bucks or 200 bucks, that they could come in and, and be able to have fun and get a ton of stuff and not be, be limited to one person or one thing that they could do. And uh, so far, I mean, she's been able to do that. The, her and her husband have got the prices set up right i mean you can get a full cast they're bringing in a rob zombie halloween reunion Mm -hmm. and i believe there's six or seven cast members from the movie that are there and you can get a full cast of a full photo op with the full cast for like 150 dollars right and just as a comparison and not to not to crap on on any of your clients or anything (laughs) but Last weekend was the Rhode Island Comic Con, yes. and and the one photo op that I would have wanted had I gone would have been the National Lampoon's Vacation photo op, which was three eighty, right? Almost four hundred dollars yes. to have a picture taken with the Griswold family. Yep. I mean, granted, you're getting four Griswolds in the photo, and I saw yes. they had the family truckster there. And, yep. They had the truck um, there, and they so. had Marty Moose and all that yep. stuff. But still, like you know, you're talking about basically what you probably are spending on a couple of people for Christmas, yeah. just to buy yourself a photo op. Whereas with, with this opportunity, you know, you could then you're you're spending a third of that uh, to to get a great memorable item, and it's not just like you're gonna it's not like you're gonna be rushed through the line. I don't think with this convention either. It doesn't have that feel to it no. where it's like you know, all right, next, all right, next, come on, move along, move along. I mean, you're gonna get the chance to kind of talk to these stars, and and uh, there's gonna be all kinds of great events too. I've noticed uh screenings are different things mm-hmm. um i believe they have uh two different vip parties set up and one of them um the first jason ari lineman mm-hmm. um, who's the little boy that jumps out of the water in the first one he's going to be performing with his band called first jason 
on Friday night. And then I believe on either Saturday night or also on Friday night, they have a um, burlesque dancer that's going to be performing. I'll be there that night. <laughs> and uh, and then on Saturday, they have something set up like a, a karaoke where people will be getting up and singing dressed as the actual characters like Leatherface or, you know, Freddy, things mm-hmm. like that. Very so, cool. Yeah. A horror movie, Rocky Horror Picture Show type of thing. Yeah, kind of like that. And what there's there's going to be all kinds of different little things, little things you can add on to your ticket to have different experiences. Uh, there's going to be some documentaries shown too. Yes. I saw there's going to be a documentary about the first Pet Cemetery movie, which yep. I'm very interested in. Uh, especially because you know that was that was such a monumental film for a lot of people. Like a lot of people of my generation, that was the first horror movie their parents let them watch. You know, and I think that I think it was kind of a a, a sneaky thing on the part of parents to let their kids watch that. Because what's the takeaway from that movie if you're like an eight or nine year old kid? Pay attention to your parents and stay out of the road. Yeah, no, seriously, <laughs> like, it's stay out of the road. So like they're, they're smart to show their kids that movie. Yep. Uh, but I think you know a lot of a lot of people that get introduced to Stephen King, Pet Cemetery is. I know it was the first one that I ever read, and it's kind of like a, a lot of people's introduction to Stephen King. Usually, that or Carrie mm-hmm. is kind of like the first books that parents will be like, "Okay, you can read that one." You know, you're not just jumping straight in with it or, or you the know, stand. Yeah, <laughs> like they're they're kind of working you up to some of that. But uh, so I think that there's a lot of people that have a connection to that movie, and now with the remake that came out, and the there's there's some backlash against that remake. Because people hold that first one in such high regard. No, I get, I get that. I actually enjoyed the remake. I don't. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it yet. No. I enjoyed it. I love the twist that they did, um, which I'm sure you've heard of this. No, where don't, don't, don't ruin it. No, no, no. no but instead yet. of instead of it being Gage, it's it's the female. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everybody knows part. about that yeah. already. Um, so that's why I said it's not giving anything away. I like that twist because you get to see more where she interacts with with the she's father, older because so, she's yeah. older instead of being the little child gauge that which was, couldn't interact which is really just more of a creep factor of it being this like four-year-old kid mm-hmm. but uh with, and also i'm a big lithgow fan so i i will see it even though you know some people have crapped all over it lithgow I, you know. was great in it it's hard though because fred gwynn was so good was. in the original he was and I, I i mean i remember reading the book because I read the book before the movie came out, and I remember reading the book and thinking to myself, you know, I can couldn't picture who would be that type of a character. I pictured kind of my grandfather mm-hmm. in that role because my grandfather is a you know a New England you know swamp Yankee. So I was like, it's somebody kind of like my grandfather. And when they made the movie and it was Fred Gwynn, I was like, oh, that that fits. Mm-hmm. That kind of fit in with what I was imagining. So, um, and I, I want to kind of talk about horror movies uh, tonight. I want to talk about where some of them have gone lately i want to talk about where where they're kind of falling short in some regards because i know that we all watch them uh we all look at them differently i think you know whereas whereas john works with a lot of these people i think you're you're watching these from a perspective of like you you seem to have a really good ability to look at each movie as its own entity. Yes. So when you're watching a, a Rob Zombie remake of, of Halloween or Friday the 13th, you are able to absorb that as it is without referencing back in your mind mm-hmm. and comparing it to the originals. I can't really do that with reboots. I I like to do it that way because I don't want to go in with a 
certain thought in mind saying, oh, well, this isn't going to live up to the other one. You know, like when Rob Zombie did the remake of Halloween 1, I liked how he brought it back and showed, and he got a lot of backlash for it, saying that it was not good. Um, But I like how he showed the young Michael Myers growing up, what he went through in life. And a lot of reports online you see, oh, it's your typical kid that didn't get paid attention and he beat up animals and that's why he became a serial killer okay but nobody ever knew why michael became a serial killer this kind of explains it now but do you feel like by explaining it he becomes a sympathetic character and do you want michael myers to be a sympathetic character see i don't think it did become a sympathetic character the right from the get-go you see him i mean if anybody hasn't heard it, uh, seen it, I'm sorry. But right from the get-go, the opening credits, you see him slicing up a uh, shaving, I should say, shaving a rat. And literally, he ends up killing him because he shaves all the skin off him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, right from the get-go, you see that type of person he is. Um, and then also at the end, though, I like how when they come, you know, they bring all the kids back. You know, the person that plays Laurie Strode, the person that plays... The, the best friend, um, all that. They bring those elements in. But then on the second one that he does, they almost leave it open so you could see possibly his version of a third one that, when you think about it, John Carpenter never really did a third one because it went into the witch one with right. all the different masks. Season witch, yeah. yeah, Season of the Witch. You could actually do a third. He could th- do a third one based on Laurie Strode because she gets put in the insane asylum and she's locked up in a padded room going nuts. So, you know, she could build he could build off that possibly. Well, I I, I recently watched I rewatched the original on Halloween and then I watched the one that came out last year. Uh, now so the one that came out last year is a direct sequel to the first one. So you're supposed to pretend that Halloween two through whatever doesn't exist anymore. And you're just the, the continuity is supposed to be the original 1978 Halloween and then the 2018 Halloween. And that's the way that you're supposed to view them. Mm. And I assume you've seen the, the 2018 one. Oh, yes. And having watched them literally back to back, I realized exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's it's a complete flip, a complete reversal yep. of of the things that happened in the first one. Now it's, you know... In the first movie, it's Laurie in the closet. Mm-hmm. In the second movie, it's Michael in the closet. And then, you know, it's Michael going over uh, over the balcony, and and then in this Instead one, it's Laurie going fr- up. Yep. And so it was, you know, it was kind of well done in that regard. And, and for those who don't know, you know who one of the writers was of the 2018 one? Besides John Carpenter and... Uh, well, he was kind of an advisor yeah. on it, but it was mainly written by Danny McBride. Oh, that I did not know. And, you know, Danny McBride yes, I know from all of the stuff that he does on HBO mm-hmm. and... He'll always be Kenny Powers to me, but, you know, so, like, they're huge fans of the character and of the series, so they wanted to make sure that they gave it, you know, that original spark, and now there's two other sequels coming out to that, so that's going to be a trilogy, so there's... Yeah, they're actually filming part of it right now. I think they're doing both at the same time, Okay. so that they can kind of, um, you know, pace it out how they release it, but that, I think, is one of the better horror We'll say remakes, even though it's a, a continuation. But that was one of the better ones, I think, of recent years. I think we've seen a lot of movies where sometimes they, they hit, sometimes they miss. Now, the Evil Dead remake that came out a few years ago, you know, that was something that a lot of people hated until 
they see the end of it and they realize it connects to the original. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think people love that fan service, that little bit. First of all, like you can't have Evil Dead without Bruce Campbell. Yeah. But at the same time, like when you can kind of connect those things and have those continuities like those new Halloween movies did, oh, the new the new one did, I think people can appreciate that. I don't really like when we're getting this endless string of and they did it for a while, like, you know, like the sleepaway camps and the I spit on your graves and all that, where it's like, we're just basically going to take the same movie and just update it because we have yeah. better special effects now. Well, that, did you see they're coming out with another uh, 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 mask, the, the the guy with the white mask there? Um, I can't think of it now. The uh, the one with Nev Campbell in it. Uh, Scream? Scream. They're going to be coming out with a new Scream movie next year. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not surprised, but at the same time, like I think that that's another one of those ones where, if they do it, they'll probably find a way to make it like a continu a, a continuation that refers back to the original. You know, the I mean, the problem is you know we're not having Wes Craven anymore. Yeah, but the, you know, the, there's plenty of examples of where they've totally failed. When like I would have thought the brand, you know, the new Nightmare on Elm Street that came out probably like eight or ten years ago now. But I would have thought that that would have been a huge hit because you've got a character that people loved when he first came out that lost a lot of his fastball as he became kind of a, a cartoon version of himself. And if you, and we could have Bill Gothier on to talk about this because he's done essays about this. But when you look at Freddy Krueger and how he started and became this uh, kind of, you know, he, he went from being the enemy. We're just going to skip the news. We're going to. Okay. Because we, we started late, so we're just going to go straight through. Uh, he became the kind of the enemy. Uh, I mean, he started off as the enemy, and he became the hero of the story. Like, you went from being terrified of Freddy Krueger in the first movie to you're rooting for him by part four or five you know and then they come out with this whole backstory and then you start to feel bad for him and everything and so they needed to kind of start from scratch with that character and make him a terrible terrible person again and so that's when when i find out okay that's going to be the point of this movie and then it's going to be on top of that jackie earl haley playing him i was like well now we're now we're talking about something here like this is going to be a real horror movie about mm-hmm. freddy krueger and then when it comes out it was just you know, I, I just had the chance back in September to actually meet to actually meet Jackie Earl Haley. What an amazing guy. And I happened to be in the green room and we were having lunch and I started talking to him about the movie. And uh, he himself even said he was a little disappointed with the reviews and all that because he liked the storyline, liked the way it went. He thinks it's just the fans are so excited for the way it was that they were let down because it told too much backstory, he right. thinks. And, and it's hard because you have a guy like Robert England who is so iconic in that role, but at the same time, I think it's almost like it was a little bit tone deaf mm. too to realize like we don't really want a horror movie about uh, a pedophile in you know the, in the era that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of there being a pedophile is scary enough. We don't need to to turn it into, because it is. I mean, it's a much more prevalent issue. 
and we can argue whether or not it's because it's people are getting caught for it more, so it's in the news more, so it's out in the open more, that there still could have been just as many pedophiles in the 1980s, but we just didn't, you know, talk about it as much. Yeah. But the fact that we hear about it so much in the news that we don't, and it's so many of the people that we trust. Yes. You know, in the 1980s, when you're talking about, and first of all, they didn't really, like, come out and say, he was a pedophile. No. Like, they danced around it a yeah. little bit. Um, but when they come straight out and they say that, you know, in the 1980s, a pedophile was the weird guy that lived on, down the street by himself that your parents told you to avoid. Yes. You kind of thought that you knew who the pedophiles were. Yes. And then, as it turns out, we were very wrong. It was our teachers. It was our priests. You know, and, and it became such a, a, a real-life nightmare that we don't really need to have that mm-hmm. kind of thrown up in our face. The, a much scarier movie about pedophiles is Sleepers. And that's, oh. you know, that's based on yeah. a true story. Yes. Uh, and that's not even a horror movie, but no, like, I'm but more scared about yeah. what happened in that movie uh, than you know than about what happens in A Nightmare on Elm Street. But I think the uh, I think that the attempts to remake some of these horror stories are because you get that Im- immediate visceral reaction from people when you tie it into this original that they have such love for. So that you, it kind of does some of the work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have to really work as hard in creating the backstory for stuff. Uh, one of the movies that I thought was a terrible idea. And when I watched the movie, I thought it was a terrible film. And then when I went back and I revisited it, I said, okay, maybe I was too judgmental. And I need to kind of put it into a different spot. And that was the... What some people call a remake of Poltergeist, but was actually more of a, almost like a continuation or a, a, an offshoot, a side story of Poltergeist. Because the, the one that came out a few years ago, it wasn't trying to retell the story. No. It was telling a story of a similar situation to a similar family. Yep. And it kind of can exist one-on-one. And I just I think they dropped the ball in some points. Um, I think that, you know, how terrifying was it that Carol Ann got sucked into the television in the original Poltergeist? Uh, you know, back how, in that time? Absolutely. Right. How many people would not leave the TV on after the national anthem because they were afraid yeah. of yeah. what would happen when the static came yep. on? <laughs> and now we have this ability time where... Time before cable. Yeah. <laughs> like, we can get sucked into our phone. Yeah. Hey, you're giving ideas out. Well, I think... I. If I remember right, I think they played upon that in that Poltergeist movie. They did a little bit, but like okay. that. And I haven't then seen the new ones. So. They, well, the, and then they end up using like basically they use like the Xbox Connect to to get to the other side. Yeah. Okay. To be able to to go and 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 rescue Carol Ann from that dimension. Well, not Carol Ann, but whatever no, the but character's the, name the is. The young girl. Yeah. From that dimension, so it's it was it was pretty. Didn't they also borrow the idea from uh, when I think it was an Outer Limits episode? The girl that went across in her bedroom i think it was an outer limits episode i, I i'm not sure i know but, that with you know the in the original that's or was an, it um, that's another thing we can fight about is and, uh, and i'd love to have chris balzano come on and fight about this but we love talking about the nuts and bolts of the original poltergeist yeah <laughs> and one of my favorite stories about that is you know nobody really knows for sure how much toby hooper actually directed that film and how much steven spielberg just told everybody what to do so it's like, is it a Steven Spielberg movie? Is it a Toby Hooper movie? There's a lot of people that fight about that. But um, 
I become Facebook friends with Oliver Robbins. Oh, really? Uh, yes. You should you should reach out. And, no, he's and a really nice guy. I met him. And uh, so he, you know, I will send him messages like, Oliver, come on, tell me the truth. <laughs> Who really directed the movie? And he doesn't comment on it. He doesn't even see my messages. But um, uh, someday we hope to get him on the show. Uh, the, um, you know, the legends, the stories that come up around some of these movies sometimes are just as much fun as the movies themselves. I, I do want to throw this out there because this news came out, I think it was yesterday, Dan Aykroyd was on a Boston radio station. Um, I'm assuming he was out promoting Crystal Head Vodka. Dan, if you're listening, you know, we have a, a liquor store down in the plaza here that sells it. It'd be a perfect perfect tie-in. But the they were interviewing him about the new Ghostbusters movie. And he confirmed that all the original cast is back. So this is the first time that we've heard for sure that Bill Murray is definitely involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we already we already knew that Aykroyd was involved. Um, Ernie Hudson's come out and said he's involved in it, and then we know about some of the new cast members that are in it too. But I think so. Here's here's what the the way that they've been presenting this is: okay. Jason Reitman is the writer and the director of it. He's the son of Ivan Reitman, who directed the original. Uh, and from what I understand, Aykroyd didn't really have a lot of say in the script for this. He might have given some ideas or given it a once over but basically the script from my understanding that was supposed to be ghostbusters 3 mm-hmm. the original idea that they had it was called ghostbusters go to hell mm-hmm. and from what i understand that script got adapted into the video game that came out probably like six or seven years ago now which is a fantastic video game i don't know if you played it no i haven't but um i had it for playstation 3 and and i loved it I mean, I really, you really felt like you were a Ghostbuster running around, and and but there's a whole storyline about uh, Evo Shandor, the guy who designed Dana Barrett's building, and the cult that he was part of, and like that's what you're in, that's what you're looking into in this story, and you end up going to, you know how in New York they have those islands that there's like uninhabited islands. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the harbor in New York, yeah, yeah, one has a prison on it, and and, and one cemetery, cemetery and yeah. one has an old house that was, um, I think they had like a TB outbreak or something, and yeah. they made everybody leave the island, and so basically you're going to that island, and that's kind of like the 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 headquarters of this cult, and so you're like battling all the ghosts and everything. So it was it was really well done, and so that, from what I understand, kind of adapted that planned Ghostbusters three script, so. Jason Reitman came into creating this movie in from scratch. And they've totally ignored the all-female version of Ghostbusters. And I, has enough time passed now that I can say that that movie sucks? Yes. And people won't accuse me of being misogynist for saying that? It really did, though. Like, it just really, really sucked. I didn't even watch it. It, it, was, it was Bridesmaids with Proton Packs. <laughs> <laughs> like that it was just basically setting up every stupid line now don't get me wrong like it was entertaining to watch but it just it wasn't a ghostbusters movie it was a movie that they just kind of threw the ghostbusters concept into um chris hemsworth is hilarious in it though yes he is but it was really just like set it up for Kate McKinnon to play a weird character, set it up for Leslie Jones to make a bunch of funny one-liners, set it up for the one thing they didn't do is they didn't make Melissa McCarthy into Melissa McCarthy. 
which I was pretty happy about she she wasn't her normal self yeah it wasn't a whole bunch of like slapstick stuff from her um and it wasn't over the top annoying uh kristen wig either so it was you know it was a pretty good balance with those two but just overall like it it just didn't feel like a ghostbusters movie you could have taken away the ghostbusters concept and just had them be like regular paranormal investigators who are fighting supernatural forces and it wouldn't have made a difference Mm -hmm. and probably would have tick people off less but whatever and i didn't dislike the movie because it was women playing the ghostbusters characters i i didn't like the movie because i feel like those movies come across as very forced like bridesmaids was funny but it's also forced in my eyes but anyway so this movie completely ignores that and it's a direct sequel to the first two ghostbusters movies and there's a family that we think is somehow related to Egon because the little girl wears the same glasses as Egon and kind of looks like him. And, but they're not really saying like what the connection is. Mm -hmm. And Paul Rudd's in it too. He plays a teacher in the movie that somehow gets involved with the Ghostbusters as well. So I I was shocked that, um, what's his name? Turned it down. Um, the original, uh, the original guy that was in the first two there. Um, oh, Rick Moranis? Yes. Yeah, he's retired from acting. Well, he he was up until last year. He actually has come out of his shell. He did his first ever Comic-Con last year. And well, yeah. He, but, and now he wants to get back into you acting. Know, but you know what happened? His wife. Yeah, yes. when his wife died, it devastated him. Yep. So yep. Um, I think, I and I, I'm not going to count out the fact that I think we're going to see a cameo from him in the movie. I'm not counting it out. I think that they're probably just keeping it under wraps because yep. they don't want people to go and bother him yeah. when he's you know not really in a place where he wants to go out yep. and promote it. Uh, but the because they were talking about there was a couple of other movies that they were talking about remaking and having him in, involved in, and I thought I saw somewhere where somebody had pitched a sequel to My Blue Heaven, really? which I would love. I don't know why, but I love that movie. You ever see that movie, My Blue Heaven? Sounds familiar. Steve Martin plays a New York City mobster. Yes, yes. But like yes, a low-level yes. mobster, yep, and he has yep, to go yep. to witness protection. Like yep. I just every time it's on, I still to this day will walk into the supermarket and say arugula. It's a vegetable. <laughs> yeah, um, they try and raise money to build a park. Yeah, they build the baseball to yeah. the baseball field, and oh yeah. yeah, that was that was a very well done movie. But anyway, the um, so this family is somehow connected to them. Uh, what I like about this is that Aykroyd's coming. Now, Aykroyd also really oversold the all-female Ghostbusters, too. Talking about how great of a movie it was going to be and how they made it their own and all this kind of stuff. But with this one, he's saying, you know, Jason Reitman really captured the heart of the original Ghostbusters story. And he made a very heartwarming story. And anybody who's ever lost anybody, you know, you're going to feel a connection with this movie. But it's also going to be scary and all this stuff. And so my hopes are up for it, but I don't, I don't, I'm also very guarded about it too. Cause there were a lot of people that were disappointed by Ghostbusters too, which I don't get. I like it. No, I've always I think, liked it. I think the second one was good for Ghostbusters. Um, like you said, I think them not doing a third and then all of a sudden, you know, 20 years later bringing in the all female cast was a wrong move, but. But no, the second one was great. I mean, how many times do we hear about Ghostbusters 3 
where it's like every comic era over the last 30, 40 years, every com well, 30 years, but every comic era, there has been the group of stars that were going to be the next Ghostbusters. So when that group didn't make Ghostbusters 3, when they decided not to, and that's because, from what, from what I understand, it wasn't that they didn't want to make one, it's that Bill Murray didn't want to make one. Mm. Because he started getting into this, these more artsy roles. Um, so when that group wasn't going to do it anymore, then it became, well, we're going to have Adam Sandler and Chris Farley and David Spade and Chris Rock, and they're going to be the new Ghostbusters. And then when that didn't happen and that didn't pan out, then it turned into, all right, well, it's going to be Ben Stiller. And I don't even remember who else was of that era. Vince Vaughn. You know, like that era of people are going to be the next Ghostbusters. I, that I, didn't pan out. I don't see any one of them doing Ghostbusters. They, I just don't think they could have did a good job. Well, then it became Jonah Hill and Seth Rogen, and that group was all going to be the next Ghostbusters. Uh, the one that I'm excited, I'm excited that Paul Rudd's going to be involved mm. in this because I'll just watch him in anything. <laughs> I've loved Paul Rudd forever. Like he was my, my favorite part of Clueless. You know, really? like just going back to uh, all those days. Um, but so I'm, I'm very excited about that. But I think if it's going to work, you can't have Bill Murray just show up and make a cameo. Yeah. He's got to be fully involved. He's got to be in a majority of the scenes because it's, it's his ad-libbing that made the first movie. Yep. And um, by the way, Bill Murray, very connected to this area. I don't know if you're familiar with, if you've heard all the stories. He's been in New Bedford. He's, he was just here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then... Uh, Every year, he he has an old Jeep Grand Cherokee at his house in the vineyard. Mm -hmm. And every year when he goes there for the summer, he has the, the Jeep repainted. And he sends it over here to the, the Mako in New Bedford. One really? time, yeah, one time on the uh, on on uh, David Letterman, he actually gave a shout out to all the guys over at the New Bedford Mako. Oh, wow. Yeah, started naming them off by name. So I, I did a story on it. I called over there. I was like. This is real? These are real people? And he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, he has his, his Jeep Grand Cherokee painted like every year. He usually has his assistant bring it over, and then his assistant picks it up, but they know that it's his car. Yeah. And I guess one year he actually did go over there and get it himself. So, you know, it's it's kind of a cool thing. But, yeah, he was here uh, a couple of months ago eating in like a bunch of different restaurants. Yeah. People saw him at all the different restaurants. He was at uh, Patty's Pierogies. Yep. And Forever. And, and my favorite thing about Bill Murray is that he will go to places – and, like, one of his favorite things to do is to do all this weird stuff for people and then tell them afterwards, he'd go up to them and say, and no one will ever believe you. <laughs> and so he would go, like, there's a restaurant in New York near his apartment that he has there where he will just walk in, walk into the kitchen, put on an apron, put on a pair of gloves, and start making orders. Like this, it's like a deli, and he makes the sandwiches for people, and then gives them their sandwiches. Two burger, two burger, two burger. And then he walks out and he leaves. Like takes his apron off, takes his gloves off, walks out the door and leaves. And people just stand there and look at them with this look on their face and say, "Is that really the hell? Him? Is that Bill Murray?" And then he'll just look at them all and say, "No one will ever believe you." And then he just leaves. <laughs> There's whole websites dedicated to people that have had run-ins with Bill Murray like this. Now he doesn't do it anymore because everybody has smartphones now. Yeah. So what's the point of doing it if everybody's going to capture it on film? Like you want the story to exist. Yeah. Uh, and then my favorite Bill Murray story is uh, why. <laughs> do you ever hear the story of how he ended up doing Garfield? No. So it's kind of a funny story because. So he ended up being the voice of Garfield in the Garfield movies. 
But what's funny is the original voice of Peter Venkman in the Ghostbusters cartoon was Lorenzo Music, who is the voice of Garfield. Oh, really? Yeah. So you, you're not old enough, but Moniz is definitely oh, old yeah. enough. You remember the show Rhoda? Yeah. And Carlton the yeah, Doorman. The Doorman, yeah. So that's Lorenzo Music. That was his, his first big breakout role. He was one of the writers of the show but they liked his distinctive voice mm -hmm. so when they needed a, a it was they never showed him on screen Correct. it was just a voice you heard over the intercom this is carlton your doorman so and he actually had a novelty record too that they put out i think so yeah and so uh so he became very known for his distinctive voice so they hired him to be the voice of garfield so when they started the ghostbusters cartoon the first season lorenzo music was the the voice of Peter Venkman, but then something happened. I don't know if it was a contract dispute or something, but he ended up leaving the show and Dave Coulier took over because Dave Coulier was already doing the voice of Slimer. Oh, so he okay. became the voice of Peter Venkman too. So that's why the voice changed during uh, the Ghostbusters cartoon. So then it just became kind of weird that now Bill Murray is doing the voice of Garfield, but it was because Bill Murray doesn't have an agent. He books everything himself. I've heard that. And I found it very weird, and I didn't believe it, but so uh, I've, I've heard you can just literally call up a phone number that he has posted and say, hey, I want you for this role, yeah, and if he likes it, it's he'll a, call back. Yeah, it's a voicemail. Yeah. Uh, Lamoan says they did show Lorenzo Music on Rhoda. I, I don't remember seeing an episode. I only watched like maybe two or three episodes when I was a kid. Well, I watched but them all as a kid. I had to. The... Um, yeah, he has a voicemail. People leave him the voicemail about what they want him to do, and then he sometimes gets back to people and sometimes doesn't. And he's famously talked about some of the roles that he's missed because he doesn't answer his voicemails in time or because people will call and his, his mailbox is full. Mm -hmm. But so what happened was somebody left him a voicemail saying that they had this project for him to work on, and it was, and it was going to be directed by Ethan Cohen. And so he's thinking... Joel and Ethan Cohen, the Cohen brothers. Mm -hmm. And he thinks he's getting offered a role in a Cohen brothers movie and he's like, I'm in. And it's it's Ethan Cohen, but it's a different Ethan Cohen. This one is C O H E N instead of huh. just C O E N. <laughs> so that's the story that he tells. I don't know if it's true or if it's just a story that he made up to justify making Garfield, but I'm sure he's happy to take that Garfield paycheck. Hmm. Oh, I'm sure it all is. the time. But uh yeah, just uh, pretty pretty funny. Let me ask a question. What horror movie gave you your nightmares? I'll give you mine. The first movie that I ever saw that really gave me a nightmare when I when I saw it was the original Alien. I can see and that, that, and that, and that to me is more of a horror movie than it is a sci-fi movie. Oh yeah, no, the original Alien is definitely a horror, horror movie. movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I th I think that the second one became more sci-fi because it yeah, was James yeah, Cameron. Yeah. yeah. And you know because and there's a series that went off sideways. You know. Yeah, because it became like a big sci-fi franchise, right. and and I like where they went with it with Prometheus. It, that was good. They so brought it back. It's. Yeah. It, I, I think that like expanding the the mythology of it and everything has been really good. But and you get into AVP and but all, all you're right. The first you know the first one had more of that kind of indie horror feel to it. Yeah. Um, Minim minimal cast, minimal, you know, the dark lighting. And, and you really spent more time in suspense waiting for something to yeah. happen. It's, a, it's, it's the way that horror works the best when you don't show the monster. Yeah. Like, you want the perception of the monster, not the visual mm -hmm. of the monster. Yep. Which, you know, the original Friday the 13th, 
I was just going to say that because that's mine. Like that's where they come out with, you know, this idea of like it's more about the 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 anticipation of what's going to mm-hmm. happen than it is what actually does. And then I think Friday the Thirteenth kind of went off the rails a little bit. I mean, a it became little? it became great fun to see a movie, yeah. but in terms of it being scary, yeah. you know, I think they just looked at Halloween and they said we need to turn our guy into that. Yeah. Um, but you would say you would say Friday the Thirteenth, the, the first, first one? one, absolutely, because you know, obviously, I when that came out, I was probably only five, four, something like that. Um, but I remember I was seven when I saw it for the first time, and uh, I was terrified terrified and it was the first one so jason technically wasn't in yeah, the movie yeah right it was his mother well, correct so i you saw know, him what my 13th birthday or whatever in the theater yeah, yeah. And, and my then, father thought oh let's go check and it was the first like real slasher slasher yep. movie <laughs> um i would have to say that that was the first movie that i saw that ever scared me now i wasn't lucky enough to see exorcist until i was probably 10 or 11 but when i finally saw that that is the one that terrified me the most you know just seeing the stuff her spinning head her walking backwards all the slashes on her that really terrified so me I, the most i didn't see exorcist until i was in college and i don't know how it like i just didn't how? see it till that point <laughs> i have no idea how it got to that point my mother would always talk about it and i think it was one of those things where it was so like blown up by that point that i was like it's never going to live up do you to know what why she's saying up. Hmm? do you know why it got blown up it's a little interesting fact no no i just it. meant with my mom but but go ahead okay um when they first originally made the first we'll call it the first version of the exorcist they were playing around with subliminals oh yeah they, they when they when they came out with the the director's cut or whatever they, they, they the, put all that stuff back, back in. in yeah yeah my father went to see it and they they actually saw it with the subliminals and didn't realize what had happened because it really freaked them out Wow. And I'm watching it later on, you know, <laughs> because I was too young at that. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, it's a scary movie, but not that bad. And then I read up on it. It's like, yeah, that that's where they first started using subliminals. Yeah, they were using and then they quick were, flashes of Pazuzu. Really? Yeah. And, and, and uh, words like, this can happen to you. And, you know, you're, it was fast enough that you know how subliminal yeah. works. Yeah. yeah. It's fast enough where you're not able to register it immediately but your subconscious picks it up and layers it in oh no. if i remember yeah. right maybe this maybe moniz can can tell me if it's true or not but if i remember right the the crab walk scene wasn't in the first one yeah no. they no. they added that they back added in for the it. remaster yeah. right because i think if if i maybe if i saw that in 1975 in the movie theater you know 74 73 actually yeah i, think. I thought I 73 think was, was oh 72 was the book so yeah. But if I saw that in the theater, maybe I would have gotten up and said, okay, I think I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, in those days, yeah. uh, seeing it later on was not that big of a deal. But when I first saw that, when I say it was overblown, it was just because my mom always talked about it as being like the scariest movie she'd ever seen. So, you know, normally when somebody keeps playing something up, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you haven't seen it. So you're like, well, now I'm never going to see it because now it's a thing. Mm. So, but I did, I watched it one night. I remember it was around Halloween time. I was a freshman in college and... She said to me, oh, The Exorcist is on, and you've never seen it. Do you want to watch it? And so we sat in her bedroom, and uh, you know she was on, on, on her bed, and I sat on the floor at the foot of her bed, and we're watching it on the, the TV in her room. And when it was over, she's like, so what did you think? Did you think that it was scary? And I said, well, 
I can see how it was scary for the time. It's it's definitely creepy. Mm. And the more that I like, you know, going to bed that night and laying down and like letting it play yeah. back in my head. And this is, I was not a paranormal investigator or a person at this at this time. So well, you were a person, but right, a paranormal either. person. I mean, right. so I was like letting it play back in my head, and I was like, okay, now I see like where this really affected people. It wasn't watching it on the screen as it happened. It was considering it all later on. Yep. Um, but then when my son got it so the exorcist tv show came out a few years ago and he watched it with me it just so happened that when i sat down to watch the first episode he never watched television he still doesn't watch television he likes to watch you know youtube videos and he'll watch stuff on hulu but he doesn't really like to sit and watch a tv show and certainly not with me like he doesn't like the same things that i like but he just happened to come out of his room and saw me sit down and i was like Hey, you know, have you seen anything about the show? Gina Davis is in the show, and she's from Wareham. And we start talking, and so he sits down and he watches it, and he became hooked. And he watched the whole series with me, like the the whole. And so, in between season one and two, I said, "Well, actually, no, it was early in season one because it was about the family from the first movie." I was like, well, "You need to see the original movie." And when I showed it to him, I was expecting him to be terrified. My wife was like, "Why are you showing him The Exorcist?" <laughs> and then when it was over, I said, "What did you think?" And he said. I don't know how anybody was scared of stuff that looks so cheesy. <laughs> well, yeah, because thinking of it now in this time frame, kids that see horror movies now, it the, the special effects are a lot better than what it was and, back then. I think unless you get into the psychological parts of The Exorcist, it doesn't really have the same resonance. Yeah. Um, but the first movie that ever scared me was a movie that I didn't actually see. Oh. Okay. It was just the commercial alone for when they used to run it on Channel 56. But do you remember a movie called Terror Train? Yes. And the guy had like the rubber mask on. Yeah. I would see that rubber mask no. in the commercials oh, okay. and I would freak out. My mother would have to like, because in those days you couldn't fast forward through a commercial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when the commercial came on, she'd have to like, eat, we didn't have a remote. You'd have to quickly get up and change, change the channel it. or just tell me to cover my eyes yep. and put my head down. And so that's what she used to have me do, cover my eyes, put my head down until the commercial was over. Uh, so that that freaked me out. And then I, I think one time the movie actually was on and because I was so terrified of the commercial that finally it was like, well, just watch the movie. And the movie was just so cheesy, cheesy. Yeah. that I was like, oh, well, how was I ever afraid of this? Um, but then the first like nightmares I got, I was allowed to see Poltergeist at a very young age. And my parents kept the scene where the guy pulls his face off after he eats the steak yeah. with the maggots yeah. in it. That yeah. was that was the part that I was not allowed to see. Okay. And I think it was because at the time there was this, uh, in the house that I lived in, there was a, a, a trash bin outside where they used to keep the trash bags until they would put them out for for the trash to come and get. And I opened up, when we first moved in there, I opened up the trash bin to put the trash in and it was all covered in maggots because the people who had lived in the house before us never cleaned it out. So, and I like freaked out because I'd never seen maggots before. So I, I was like seven years old, freaked out. So I think my parents... Like, didn't want me to see that scene because they saw what my reaction had been to maggots, so they kept that from me. Uh, but I remember going to school one day and being distraught and being all upset. And the teacher was like, what's the matter? And I was like, well, I had nightmares all last night and I couldn't sleep. And it was I was having nightmares about the clown from Poltergeist. And I told her that. And 
like she basically called my parents. I'm like, how do you let a seven year old kid watch Poltergeist? <laughs> you know. Now I'm like, because you're an awesome parent when you do that. Right. It's like the best horror movie of all time, in my opinion. Um, it's my favorite movie of all time. Well, what about? Okay, you're saying. Yeah, I, I thought it would be a toss up with between that and. Um, uh, Long Island, New York. The Amityville Horror. Horror. I yeah. saw that later. So I saw the Amityville Horror. I was probably about 12, 11 or 12, because I found the book at a yard sale. I, um, My dad used to sell auto parts at different yard sales around Massachusetts. So in the summertime, when I lived in Sandwich, we went to Dick and Ellie's, which was an outdoor flea market and an old drive-in. And if I helped him out, I would always get five bucks. And I would usually spend five bucks on comic books. But this particular, I love to read. Like, I love books. At this point, I was reading every Stephen King book I could get my hands on. And so one day I'm walking around, and there's the Amityville Horror book. And I remember seeing it when I was a kid, the, the book, at my, my, uh, my grandmother's house. My aunt had a copy of it. And so I knew that it was, I kind of knew what it was about. So I said, oh, let me get this book. It was like 50 cents or whatever. Let me get this book. And I read it, and I became obsessed with it. And that's how my Amityville obsession started. And then my mom was like, well, did you ever see the movie? Hmm. I said, no. So we rented the movie, and I watched it. And I was like, oh, my God, the movie's terrifying. Like, the movie's just as scary as the book. Of course, I reread the Amityville Horror years later and realized what a terribly written, written book that is. Like it is bad how poorly written it is, and I I must not have I must have been so obsessed with the story that I didn't really pick up yeah, on it as a kid. To that, yeah, because I read The Exorcist book long before I saw the movie, um, and so same thing with Amityville Horror. I read the book first, then saw the movie. So, like, there were parts of that that scared me. That, like, do you know what you know what part got to me the most out of the Amityville story more than anything was when the family wakes up because there's a marching band playing in their living room. Okay. For some reason, that part of it freaked me out worse than anything. Is that in the book? It's in the book, yeah. Okay. Because I was going to say, I don't remember that being in the movie. I think it is in the movie. Yeah. I think there is a scene where they wake up and they hear like a bunch the of music, music playing in the, music. Yeah, in the living room. I remember room. Yeah. an actual band in the room, but yeah. No, I but I think they describe it as it yeah. sounds like a marching yeah. band coming okay. through the room. Um that freaked me out. But what freaked me out the most about the story, and maybe I picked up on, the, maybe people didn't pick up on this in the movie if they hadn't read the book first, because I don't think the movie does such a great job of conveying it through the course of the film. They they kind of have to throw it in your face later on so that you'd be like, oh, okay. But in the book, they do a much better job of explaining how uh, George Lutz is becoming Ronnie DeFeo. Mm-hmm. You know, how he's growing his beard out like yeah. him, how he's starting to look like him, and and, and the, the obsession with the cold, uh, the obsession with trying to make the house warm and all that. Like, that stuff freaked me out. I think even at that age, I was picking up on the psychological part of the horror more than the big in-your-face scares. Yeah. You know, if I walked into a house and I heard a voice tell me to get out, I wouldn't be afraid. Yeah. I'd be like, I'm, screw I'm, you. I'm the same way. I wouldn't be afraid. But if something is going to slowly, like, change my personality, to me, that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that to me is the, okay. the, the much scarier part. That goes on to, a, of course, another Stephen King movie where 
takes place in Estes, Colorado. Well, it actually is supposed to be Maine, but you know, it, it, the actual movie was filmed in Estes Park, Colorado. No, no, I think it's no, it's it takes place in Colorado. Does it? Yeah, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of the few um, books outside. that wasn't out inside it's outs- Maine. It's the the it's outside of Boulder, I believe. Boulder. In well, the, so is Estes Park, right? But I, <laughs> I I don't think they name Estes Park in the book. Yeah, I think they just reference that it's outside of Boulder. But talking about a movie where the person slowly goes off the rails. I, you know, and we can argue about this, but I still don't see The Shining as a horror movie. No, I don't either. I know there's ghosts in it, mm-hmm. yeah. and I know there's like well, horror movie and, scenes. Yeah. But, but I just I I would I wouldn't call Silence of the Lambs a horror movie, mm-mm. and I would put The Shining in the same. So you're saying it's more like a Psycho? Yes. Yes. I don't think Psycho is a horror movie either. Okay. Yeah. But, um, but Psycho, uh, Lam- Silence of the Lambs, Lambs, that one, uh, The Shining. I think they're more of a psych psychological type movie, more psychological than, thriller. Yeah, like a thriller right. like that versus a horror movie. Yeah, to me, a horror movie has has to be a visceral reaction to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it has to be a movie where you get the scare, you get the the tensing but up I, in your body. I, but and... my favorite kind of horror is the slow psychological burn. Like I prefer the others. You know, movies like that. I prefer. Yeah. Um, although we could even say that's not necessarily a horror movie, but uh, yeah. her- Hereditary. You know, where it was like a slow build. Mm-hmm. Seen that. To the, that's a good one. Um, as is typically the case with horror movies these days, I get really into the story, and I think that I'm like, "Oh, this is going to be a great horror movie." And then when it gets to the ending, I'm totally disappointed. When I get to the ending, that's when I'm like, "Ah, they dropped the ball here big time." And so that one was one of those ones where I kind of felt that walking away. There's a there's one oh crap moment in that movie. You saw Hereditary, right? There's one oh crap movie when I saw it. The, the oh crap moment in that film, which comes about 15 minutes in, yep. that's where most people are either like, I'm totally in on this movie. Or I'm done watching it. Or I'm it. completely done. Yeah, yeah, and I don't want to watch it no more. So, right. and that oh crap moment for me, I was like, whoa, I, I think I'm in on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, do you have Amazon Prime, by the way? Okay, because I was going to say you can watch it for free on Amazon Prime. So before I ruin the whole movie for you. <laughs> That's why I wasn't saying anything. But the, the ending of it was, to me, I was like, oh, that's where it went? Yeah. But then if you think about it, like the even the title of the movie doesn't make sense if it's not for all that stuff. So do you remember the movie about the Dybbuk box, The Possession? Yeah. So that was written by some people that we've had on the show. Yeah. Uh, and, and so... I was really kind of looking forward to that movie, and that was another movie where everything was great in that film except the ending. Like the endings just underwhelm yeah, I don't think and underdeliver. It was okay. Uh, somebody was asking me today. Ken Pittman was asking me today what I thought was you know a good horror movie that had come out in recent years, and I, I recommended Deliver Us from Evil. Yep, the Ralph Sarchi story. Yep. That I thought was a pretty good start to finish horror movie. There's always going to be some, like, uh, the Insidious movies. You know, the first one was pretty good. First one, I've only seen the first one. I thought the second one was okay, but I haven't bothered to watch the other ones because, like, now you're just stretching it out. Yeah. Like, when you're stretching it out to become a franchise, it gets ridiculous. I know that The Conjuring wasn't 
completely yeah. based on the actual true story, but it was a pretty good horror movie. It was. It was. I mean, if you take it for what it is, yeah. it's like, okay, I, I, that one's pretty good. But then, you know, the second one was terrible, and it ate away at me at how much of it was not the Warrens, but yep. they, they made it the Warrens. Yeah. And I didn't even, I think I watched the first Annabelle movie, maybe. I think I watched The Nun, maybe. I don't even remember, because they all just blend together in your head. Um, and then there was uh, another one that came out. Re- oh, the the Babadook. I haven't e- seen that. Everybody was all excited about this movie, talking about how it's like the the first Bob- great horror movie in a long time. Babadook is a uh, witch and uh, no, it's it's uh, it's it's an Australian movie about this character from a children's book that comes alive, and like so the kids like seeing this character from the book like come to life. It's no. It's pretty creepy, but okay. the ending of it was disappointing. And like I would have totally been all in on that movie had the ending not just been such a letdown. I'm going to have to check it out now because I haven't seen I was it. thinking of. Sorry. There's, uh, there's so you saying before, though, how the first one of, um, of the movie that you really, really liked, that really scared you, the was your favorite i can't think of which one that poltergeist was. no not poltergeist um slipped my head now but i was trying to think of it but yet they did a they did a third version that was absolutely horrible and uh and i just couldn't believe how bad it was um i actually didn't like it at all i just can't think of it right this second what we were well mentioning before halloween people think the third version of halloween is terrible but i loved season of the witch when i was yeah, a kid no season of the witch was good it just didn't follow the yeah, mike myers right That's I mean, why if it was, if, it was if it was his own standalone movie yeah like people would have people would have a lot more love for that movie if it wasn't part of the halloween franchise yep. but it makes sense that it's part of the halloween franchise because it's a halloween story you know, John Carpenter said the Halloween story doesn't have to be always about oh, Michael Myers, but people just love the Michael. And I think that's why he worked better. Michael Myers worked better than any of the other like slasher characters because it wasn't supernatural, really, at first. Yeah. Like, it could absolutely happen. And every time that somebody broke out of prison or every time that somebody escaped from a mental institution... There was the possibility that they could be the next Michael Myers. Well, you have the original horror slasher based on real story, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that preceded most, almost all of them, but yep. and and, it was and based that, on a true story. And yeah, being based on a true story, that got such. It's amazing how like underground that movie is. Yeah, how people don't appreciate that as one of the top four or five iconic horror figures. You know, I mean, obviously, everybody's always going to picture Jason and Michael and Freddy. Well, because Leatherface was actually real. Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't have the pop culture resonance that these other guys did. And and I think part of it is, like, it's harder to sell that Leatherface Halloween costume. Yeah. You know, it's harder. Like, it's Mm. everybody recognizes the hockey mask. Yeah. And by the way, you can be Jason for five bucks. (laughs) You know, and and Freddy Krueger was somebody that. Uh, you know, became a, a rock star. You know, more. It was more about that, and he became such a ubiquitous figure. You know that, like, he's got a TV show. He's got, um, you know, they were putting out video games. They, they, there was all this stuff that was kind of helping to push 
that underground that just Leatherface never got that. No, no. Uh, and I think e- even when they redid the remakes, they yeah they they never took off really. And I mean, no. they brought big cast members into those remakes, and yeah. they never took off. The one I was talking about before was the Amityville Horror. Oh yeah, when oh, they yeah. redid the remake with Ryan Reynolds, what did you think? So okay, I was. Early in that movie, I was in mm-hmm. when they got to the Hans Holzer Native American mm-hmm. bullcrap. Mm-hmm. That's when I was like, "Nope," because they wanted to be different from the original movie. Yep. So, and I've never bought into the the Holzer research on Amityville. Yeah, I've never bought into the whole Native American connection and the stuff going back to the colonial era. I don't think any of that stuff comes into play. Um, so, I was out on it because of that but until that point like i kind of really enjoyed the story i i yeah no i agree with you i liked it i think he did a great job acting in that role um he did portray the acting good um but no i agree with the ending it was kind of a little weird with the native american stuff i I was kind of the problem with the amityville story is people have let I mean, obviously, people like us that know the true story, it's a little bit different. But for the casual moviegoer fan, it's because the stories have gotten so ridiculous, it's hard for people to remember that there was some element of truth to it to begin with. Yes. I mean, uh, you want to go back and talk about the original Amityville films. So the first Amityville horror, I would call that a a really good classic horror film. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to creep you out, even today. Amityville 2... Yeah. Hold on. If you watch Amityville 2, though, and you go back through it knowing about the the DeFeos, and you know that, it's a really, really creepy film. But it comes under that guise of what we're talking about, about psychological drama more than it is horror. Yeah. But holy crap, is that the the, the DeFeo story? Like, you feel like you understand what's going on with that. No, I agree. Um, Halloween, I mean, uh, Amityville 3D, the third one. That's when things started to get ridiculous. But I still enjoyed that movie as a kid. Maybe because it was the only thing that was on 3D on Channel 56. They always would show it like once a year and you'd have to go get your 3D glasses at 7-Eleven and all that stuff. But by the time it got to 4 and then everything that came out after that, you know, and then they're getting into the storylines of it's just a, now it's just a clock. Yeah. Yeah. Now, getting back to John Carpenter. One of the other I ones left somebody I, on hold the whole time. It's uh, probably Lamone. Sorry. Yeah. One of the <laughs> ones I enjoyed from him was the original The Fog. That was a great movie. That now that is a, a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And what was good about that is, you know, it, it was horror and was you could call it quasi slasher, but you didn't really see the. There was no. It's what Tim it talked was just, about earlier. Yeah. There was no monster. Well, like there was, but the, you never you saw, saw them. Yep. Well, until the end, but it, and that's what it goes back to. This look at the Twilight Zone. Okay, look at first of all, the Twilight Zone did a lot of great work. Oh yeah, mostly because they didn't have the the special effects, mm-hmm. and even if they did have the special effects, they certainly didn't have the budget for a television show to to do those kind of special effects. So a lot of the Twilight Zone was built on anticipatory horror, built on you know not seeing the monster. So the monsters are doing on Maple Street is one of the prime examples of psychological horror you know and when you have people sitting around in a diner wondering which one of them is the The alien alien. you know like things like that like those are the kind because it shows like what we're capable of as people and those are why those are some of the best stories uh, that i think that 
come out of some of these and, and it's, it's because it's that's the real part of it so even though the supernatural stories might be feeding some of these it's that real the real horror of what men can do and women but you know what i mean mankind yeah. what we can do that is the scariest part of all and i was i was doing a show i was doing the change my mind show uh with those guys here a couple of weeks ago and i told them, i was going over with them the list of all the the uh, horror movies that turner classic movies were showing through october and i told them i said listen there's a lot of great horror movies on here because they're not horror movie guys so i'm trying to tell them like what they need to see there's a lot of great horror movies on here but if you're gonna watch any one of these movies that i think will freak you out more than anything and, and really kind of scare you and make you change the way that you think is todd browning's freaks oh, which yeah, i think yeah. was 1934 yeah. i've never seen that it's a black and white that's actually pretty pretty freaky yeah yeah really? because and it's called freak for a reason because it's not it's not makeup it's not, you know, it's of course it's not CGI because it's 1934, but what you're seeing in that movie is you're seeing actual real freaks, yeah. people who have these pinheads and these and, yeah. disabilities and these these problems and but it, it's the scary part isn't just about them and and it's what they're what enduring. They're enduring. It's, yeah, it's how they're exploiting these people. Yeah. And how they've they've had enough and yeah. and and they they go after the people that have been exploiting them. But it's it's one of the freakiest things that you'll ever see. Like imagine being a an eight year old kid watching that at two in the morning on a, a you know on the the late late show. Yeah. That's how I first saw that movie, and and I'm glad that I did that. I'm glad that I saw so many of these older horror movies at a time when I was young, in the middle of the night watching them by myself. Well, what about the old uh, Hammer horror? The, the Hammer yeah. films don't really scare me that much. Well, they weren't really meant Yeah, they're more to be like popcorn flick Saturday afternoon, mm -hmm. creepy vibe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh, I think with those, it was more like, uh, especially like a lot of them are Edgar Allan Poe stories. Yeah. So it was more kind of like, you know. The classic tale of morality. And, and, and even yeah. though Hammer is kind of looked upon for some cheesiness in some regard, no. uh, it was also... Like they were, they were trying to do somewhat artsy versions of these stories. Um, you know, if you look at some of the movies that came out in in that era, especially like the drive-in movies, where mm -hmm. you know you're seeing the giant ants and the giant lobsters and all these different things in all those movies. Like they weren't really trying for the scares. I think they kind of understood what it was, what they were doing. If you got scared, fine, but like they weren't really trying to terrify you. Yep. Uh, but if you look at a movie like, did you ever see the movie The Tingler? No. Oh, I recommend this movie highly. Vincent Price. Okay, so you got me sold right now. So he's a doctor, and he is obsessed with proving that there is a physical reason why we feel fear. Well, there is. No, no, Chemi chem no, no, no. An external physical reason why we feel fear. Oh. He's discovered this thing that he calls the tingler that attaches itself to our spine and feeds off of our fear. So it puts us in these positions where we have to be afraid so that it will feed itself. And so he figures if he can remove this from people, he would remove the ability for them to be afraid. Hmm. And... uh and and he's so obsessed with this that his his wife ends up having an affair, 
and you know he doesn't even care about it or anything he's just so wrapped up in his in his research but uh they actually he discovers the tingler and they actually like show the little creature and everything is but when you think about it it's it's at an at another level it's kind of a freaky movie because you're thinking to yourself okay there is a physical need for us to be afraid like even people who are even people who say like oh my god i hate watching horror movies i hate to be scared they still want to watch them right like people yeah. there's a part of us that feeds off of that fear and so you start to wonder like what is the nature of that in this particular movie sure it's this external look, little worm creature that's attached to your spine but that's also an allegory for some weird part of us that needs to feed off of that it, it's funny you bring that up because i was talking to somebody yesterday and today about that and how this person loves the paranormal loves all that and and i've been offered to go over to the um the house there in harrisville mm-hmm. now that the new owners are there and i told this person i said why don't you come with me nope absolutely not i won't step foot there loves the fear of the paranormal loves to investigate would love to do it but won't step foot in that house because they're afraid of what could happen so it's the fear it's the anticipation. so yeah. a, a psychologist once told me that see that's there's there's the that's the biggest fear that mankind has is fear of the unknown that's why we're afraid of, of paranormal things because mm-hmm. we don't understand it but he told me one time anticipatory fear is the greatest fear the scariest ghost that you can imagine is always going to be scarier than the actual scariest ghost that you will encounter. Mm-hmm. So freaking ourselves out is the biggest part of fear. Uh, and that's what a lot of these movies depend on, the anticipatory fear. We, when we're watching the original Halloween, it's not about when Michael finally gets his hands on Laurie. It's about all the times that he almost does. Almost, yeah. It's not, you know, the scariest mo- the scariest moments in that movie to me aren't when, you know, we're watching Michael kill somebody. No. It's when she's looking out the window and seeing him in the yard across the street. Or the sitting in the closet knowing that he's coming through the closet right. in any second. That's the scary part of those it. Those are the parts that scare people. Just to go back to The Tingler for a moment, too. So The Tingler was uh, a William Castle film, if I remember right. And William Castle was known for gimmicks in his movies. Uh, he was the guy that directed 13 Ghosts, the yeah, original was an, 13 Ghosts. Yeah, it was an all right movie. I'm yeah, a fan we, of it. I like it. I wouldn't call it a horror movie. Or, it's kind of like a, it's almost like a, almost like a kid's campy. horror movie. Yeah, Wait, it's a now, which one are we talking about? The original 13 Ghosts. Not with, the one that just came out like, you know, five, six, seven years ago there with. No, uh, with the Tony Shalhoub. Yeah, and, and no, Shannon but Elizabeth. That and, was actually a pretty good movie. It was. I actually it enjoyed was. that movie. That's the one I thought you were talking about. And and being a fan of 13 Ghosts, the, oh, you've never seen the original? The black there, and white one? There's a black no. and white one from no, way back. I knew it was based. But oh, yeah. Mar- Margaret Hamilton's it. in it. The the Wicked Witch from The Wizard of Oz. So William Castle directed that 13 Ghosts, and he always put a gimmick in all of his movies. And the gimmick in 13 Ghosts, the original one, was when you went into the movie theater, they gave you what they called, I think they called it SpectraVision, and it was a pair of glasses. And when the ghosts were coming onto the screen, you had your choice. If you wanted to see the ghosts, watch the movie through this lens. If you don't want to see the ghosts, watch the movie through this lens. And all it really was was it was like the 3D glasses where yeah. they would put the, the, the ghost up in, the, in blue. Mm. And if you had the blue filter on, you wouldn't see the ghost. But if you put the red filter on, the ghost would stand out, you know? So it was kind of like that idea. And, and people, you know, ate up these gimmicks. And so he put 
a gimmick in a lot of his movies. And I think for The Tingler, the uh, the gimmick for that movie was they put, uh, not under every seat, but under like every fourth seat, they put Buzzers. like a, a vibrating motor. Huh. So that at a certain part of the movie, they would fire that off, and it would go off, and then people would feel it and be like, ah, because the the tingler. And that's actually where the the line, scream, scream for your lives. That's where the movie that that comes from, because if you screamed, that would, you know, uh, kill the tingler. So it was, was, uh, he had some other ones, too, that were really good. Um, There was this one movie, I forget which movie it was, but. They had it rigged so that every theater that showed the movie, there was a scene where the ghost would be coming at you on the screen, and so they would have a ghost behind the screen that somebody would have to push up over the back of it, and then it would go on a on a clothesline like through the middle of the audience, really, and fly through and freak everybody out. I love William Castle movies because, like, he thought that he was like so innovative and scaring the crap out of people, but it was so cheesy that people didn't get scared by it but it was it was just good campy fun and um i think the movie matinee with john goodman is kind of based on william castle and he used to like to put himself in, put himself in the beginning of all of his movies like introducing the movie and telling the people about the technology that was involved in it and all that so it's a lot of fun um if you ever watch sven Gulli, yeah he he shows a lot of william castle movies he's a big william castle fan too but uh it's I recommend watching all of his movies. Uh, usually, you can get them like in a on Amazon, like in a in a DVD set or something. But it's a lot of fun. Now, here's a movie that we haven't talked about, and it was you could probably call it one of the original, you know, horror type of modern what we would consider a modern horror. Rosemary's Baby. For mm-hmm. its time, it was, and that very- was that was the shift. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That was I the agree. movie that shifted us into because at the time we had the satanic panic anyway right. going on, and that was the movie that kind of pushed us toward the Exorcist, towards the, the Omen, right? Um, and, and wasn't that, that banned, if I'm correct, in yes, a lot of cities? It was uh, and, mainly down south, I believe. Yeah, and I think if I remember right, it carried an X rating. Really? Because it was. I, I might. I think that it was originally given an X rating because of how scary yeah. it was. Yeah, had not because it had nudity or anything. Yeah. yeah, although I think there is. Is there? Some there is a it? sex scene, quote unquote. Yeah. But it's but don't not, they show some boobs in it? Uh, it's compared a to compared it's to a Polanski film, yeah. so they must. Yeah, I was gonna say not like there's any. Now that's something I didn't know. He was the director of that. Yes, yeah. I had no idea about that. And then right after that is when he wound up getting in trouble and yeah, and it took off over yeah. overseas. Yeah. Right, but this was. So you know where that movie was filmed? No, Rosemary's Baby. No, I do not. You know where it was filmed? I thought it was California. No, it was filmed in the Dakota Building in New York, where really? John Lennon lived when he was when he was killed. They filmed it in the in the Dakota Building, or maybe that was what they used for the external scenes of the okay. of, of the movie. But that's that's part of the reason why John Lennon bought his apartment there. So, but anyway, there's you know that's part of all these horror movie curses that hmm. comes from that that spate of movies. I did not know that. So, uh, the the thing, yeah, the thing about Rosemary's Babies, it started to push people into looking at the devil as being a viable yeah. antagonist in these films. Because before that, like you had some movies that talked about the devil. 
but it was you it, know and some of those hammer films more yeah. than anything and it was always that cheesy you know yeah yeah this was like really not only about the devil but about mankind worshiping the devil and welcoming the devil i haven't seen that in so long i gotta go back and watch it I don't think I've ever watched it start to finish. I think I've seen it in bits and pieces. I've seen all the scenes, but just never straight through start to finish. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to go back and, and watch that and see it start to finishing. It was it. filmed, what, 1967? Uh, I think 68? it came out in 69, I think it came yeah. out. I think it came out just before Sharon Tate was murdered. Yeah. Because Polanski was like the big star director right. at the time. Mm-hmm. Which, Speaking of which, did you guys see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? No. I have not yet. I'll just say this much about it. I really didn't like the movie until the ending. It was like the opposite of the way I feel about horror movies. Like I was kind of, like it was okay, but I was kind of like what's the point? What's going on here? Until the ending. Then I was like, "Oh, that's an awesome movie." So, not giving away the premise of the movie, but there's a new movie that just came out that was on Netflix and it's about the Polanski murders and everything. Mm-hmm. I can't for the life remember what the name it the haunting of sharon tate that's what it is and it just came out and it already sounds cheesy no it's really not believe it or not i know i thought the same thing um but it was actually pretty decent it's a flip on what you would think the ending was a little bit cheesy i was kind of surprised at how it ended um i don't want to give it away in case anybody does go watch it um but it talks about the murders. It shows stuff just, throughout the murders. Can you just slide the microphone in front of you a little bit? And, and yeah, it just it shows the murders, talks about the murders, and it has a whole different flip on the whole idea. And the end is pretty crazy how it is of how it ends. But it's, was it was it filmed at David Oman's house? I don't know. David Oman wants to come back on the show, but I don't know if we're going to have. I don't think it was. I don't think it was. Um, I really don't think it was. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll have to check it, it you'll out. You'll have to check it out. It's pretty interesting. Speaking, speaking of which, we didn't really cover this, but in talking about some of the the, um, the resurgence of horror, I think The Haunting of Hill House, speaking of Netflix, I think that's done a huge service to getting people back into horror. Did you yeah. watch that? I mean, no, it was, but... It, it was fantastic. And they're working on the, the second season now, which is going to be a different family in a different house, but they're saying it might tie into the original, uh, to the first season somehow, but... I mean, if you did, you see it, John? Oh yes. Yeah. I mean, it was it was really well done. Yes, very very well done. And and it was very much those psychological anticipatory scares. I think the whole season there's only one jump scare in the whole season, and it's a damn good one. No, it is. It's it's so it's very very well done. Uh, I have not gone back and rewatched it though. So they they recommend that you watch it once through to really absorb the storyline and everything going on, and then you go back and watch it. Because there are ghosts all throughout the the series. Yeah. And you pick up on some of them as you're watching it, but you, you miss a lot of them because you're involved in the story. So they recommend that you go back and watch it again. No, and just I saw kind the of series. I thought the it was actually pretty good. The um the second season though, like they're saying that like they're even gonna up the game even more. So hopefully that carries through. Let's just clear out these couple of calls and uh, and then we'll call them a night. All right. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast. Let me make sure I get everything set up here. It should be good. Good evening, gentlemen. What's going um, on? One of your friends here just mentioned about going over to an island with the new ownership. 
you and Phil were just talking about that Tuesday. Yep, yeah, Corey and Jen uh, had invited me to come out there, and, and I know Phil wants to go over there and check it out, so uh, maybe we can work it out. The problem is where where they're going to run into some issues is right now they're just inviting their friends over, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so that's okay. The problem is going to be like if they try to turn this into a money-making venture because it was purchased uh, – first of all, it was purchased with a VA loan which Corey was very open about here on the show when he talked about it. And I know there's some limitations with what you can do with a property that you buy with one of those. Yep. But also the neighbors aren't going to let them turn this into a, you know, a place. Stuff. Yeah. So um, if they really do plan on living in the house, then, and it's just their house and people are going to come over and hang out and investigate, that's a different story. But if they're trying to turn this into some kind of a money-making venture, they're going to have a problem. And already some of the residents are a little bit upset about what happened with Ghost Adventures coming there and filming. So even though though they weren't the first TV show to film there, Ghost Hunters filmed there years ago. But uh, Many years ago. Many, many, yeah. Almost a decade and a half. Ghost Hunters, the original first. That was their first season. That was actually, I think, one of their first one. Yeah. Well, it's okay because Norma changed her tune. Hmm. right after that so <laughs> but yeah hopefully uh hopefully we'll get over there at some point yeah hey, um, i crisscrossed with a friend of mine from high school the other day and it was weird because a few days before i hadn't seen her a long time i thought about a conversation me and her were having do you guys ever remember hearing about in the mid to late 80s the beast of Truro down on the cape about three yes. murders yes two bodies were found in a partial yep well the guy that in the early 80s, the state police and the DA thought... They found them on a beach, right? Yes. Yeah. I remember, the, it, I remember the Provincetown stories. I don't remember Truro. Yeah. It was called yeah. the Beast of Truro. Yeah. But it was the same story where they found the woman on, on, on the beach? They found a I've, series of bodies, yeah. Yeah, I thought, yeah. They remember, I thought they found a torso in, in Provincetown on the beach. Yeah. That, 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 that would have been something like from the ocean or like from shacks or whatever, but... No, 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 no. Um, this was somebody killed somebody and just left. Just it. Yeah. yeah, they left the body on the beach. Yeah. Well, what? So back to what I was saying. So this girl, after Union Hospital here in North End of Haven, for a short time, it was a private name. It also had a psych unit. And they had this guy, and his first name was Ken. And they were checking this guy out, and he was there for psych evaluation. They had him under continual watch and stuff. I saw her the other day, and I said, how long did he end up staying there? And she said about three weeks and one night in the middle of the night, I was working a double. It was like a skeleton ship. She's pun the phrase. And she said, three state troopers, a couple of people from mental health came in and took this guy in the van. And they said they were taking him to Bridgewater. And she says, I tracked it and tracked it and tracked it. Never seen anything anywhere about it. I thought, how interesting. She was just on my mind two days before. No, that is, I mean, that is pretty weird unto itself. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> like 30 years later. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, listen, I... used I, to fish out of P-Town when I was a teenager. I stopped questioning the universe about stuff like that, though, so... <laughs> Stephanie <laughs> taught me that. She's like, no, that stuff happens on purpose. I'm like, okay, whatever. I just, I guess I'll just accept Roll it. Roll with it. Yep. Okay, gentlemen, thank you for a nice show. All right, thanks. I'll have a good night. Yep. And uh, speaking of, of weird things about people being in this area... Uh, have you ever heard the story about when David Koresh was in New Bedford? Yeah. Like, supposedly right before he moved to Waco, he was here for a while, 
working as a music director for some church. And so the bus that all the Branch Davidians took to Waco, mm. he bought it here. Yeah, in New really? Yeah. Um, when I, my old man owned a uh, delivery service in New Bedford, we were up on Orchard Street, and him and his followers used to eat at the, uh, there was a little, we'll call it restaurant run by students mm-hmm. at, at, the, at the high school. Uh, and he came in there with a bunch of his uh, followers, and they used to order food and take it out all the time. Uh, now this uh, restaurant, or it wasn't really a restaurant, it was more like a cantina thing, and it was run by special needs kids and and stuff like that. Well, they had some of them working there just to get them used, you know. But it was close to our office, so we used to grab cheeseburgers and whatever and bring mm-hmm. like but yeah he was there so so the story I, I think a caller called up and told the story here where the 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 bus that they drove there was like this this like terrible gold color and so he was fixing the bus he was working on it and he asked this guy to give him a ride to the to the hardware store and i think the guy said it was an nhd back in those days i don't know if you remember those old yeah. hardware stores so he says, all right, or he was going there and everything, and he, he asked to bum a ride with him, and he went there because he was going to get paint to paint the bus. And when they went, when they were listening to the radio on the way to the store, the guy had on Neil Young, and uh, it was Heart of Gold. And when he walked into the store, Koresh saw over in the clearance paint section this gold paint, so he thought it was a sign that he was supposed to paint the bus gold. So he bought that. If I have the story right, if I remember right from when the caller called in, but just freaky stuff that, you know, right before he goes out there, he was here of all places. That's, that's pretty but. crazy. That movie on Netflix that I was telling you about, The Haunting of Sharon Tate, yep. I had to look it up. It's uh, It's got Hilary Duff that plays Sharon Tate. Oh, okay. I like Hilary Duff. And no, <laughs> Not as an actor. But. <laughs> she she does an actual good role as Hillary, as uh, Sharon Tate. You got to check it out. All right, I'll I'll, I'll give it a watch. Give it, you got to give it a shot. I will. The um, we'll take one more call here before we go to. Uh, you had said something about Netflix. I was going to say something else, and I forgot. So we'll, we'll, take, we'll take the call. Maybe it'll pop in my head. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hi, uh, it's all fun and informative. I'm sorry I tuned in later than I did, <laughs> and I don't know if you uh, discuss zombie films, but in particular, I saw that. Uh, World War Z with uh, Brad Pitt mm-hmm. years ago, and it was—I liked it, and it was supposed to be a sequel that has never materialized. Is it coming? And what do you guys briefly think of zombie films as horror? I think I think there's a whole series of books that the, that that movie was based on, right? I, I, I don't yeah. know. So a graphic sh- novel, I think. Actually, the yeah. the—I've never been a fan of zombie movies. Uh, George Romero, hello. <laughs> I'm just I've never liked zombies. I, I consider them a separate subversion of horror um in, in my own opinion. I like so if you go back to like white zombie and like the original <laughs> idea of what zombies were about them being, you know, humans that are placed under a spell, like living people that are placed under a spell, like that's I can kind of get behind that, but reanimated corpses, I don't know, like I just, I've, it's never been a, a, a big thing for me, but there's been some really innovative stuff that's come through in recent years about zombies. Like, I thought that uh, 28 Days Later was, that was a, a, that a was really a good, good take movie, on, on, because now instead of having these slow lumbering zombies, you know, we've got to be afraid because these things are super fast. 
and even though it was a comedy and not a horror movie, there was a, a and, and, and this is a plug because we have a little connection with the guy because when the book first came out, he came on Spooky South Coast. We were one of his first ever interviews. The guy's name was Isaac Marion, and he wrote a book called Warm Bodies. And that book got turned into a, a major Hollywood movie with John Malkovich and Nicholas Holt and Rob Corddry. And that movie, I thought, was a great take on the zombie story because for the first time ever, it told us a zombie story through the eyes of the zombie. zombie. Hmm. So even though it's like a love story, like a teen romance kind of thing, it was a pretty cool take on the zombie story. I'm going to read about that one. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a, it's a little bit of a comedy, a little bit of a romance movie, but at the same time, like it's cool to see like what the zombies are going through. It's all these zombies living in an airport. Yeah, and uh, and they, you know, he's like, why do we get up every day? Why are we just roaming around like this? It's like all of his internal thoughts. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to say my name, but I can't say it and all that kind of stuff. I thought that that was kind of interesting. Is that zombie interest over now? I don't think so. I think it's going to keep going. Still going, still going. The vampire vampire films, that seems to have uh, attenuated. Yeah, but uh, they always make a comeback. And there's going to be a new series about Dracula. Uh, I think it's on Netflix, Mm -hmm. a new Dracula series. So that's going to kind of reinvigorate. The, the vampire genre again. Are we talking of Vlad type of? No, this no. is this is um, a Bram Stoker type. kind of a. No, Bram I don't think it's even that either. I think it's a, I think it's kind of a modern telling. I saw something about it on Facebook. I know they're redoing an interview with a vampire. They're re, re, there's going to be a reshoot of that. Yeah, but this is this is going to be like a series, and I think it's kind of like a. There's going to be other things involved. But is it possible to have a? Uh, robot-oriented horror movie. And oh, Terminator. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't call it Terminator a horror movie, though. Even the first yeah. one, I wouldn't call it a horror movie. But there was a movie uh, in the 80s called Deadly Friend. Okay. That was a Wes Craven movie that was about a, 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 a robot that um, that turns on people. And, and it's scary. What about... It, well, what, I mean... 2001? What about, what about the mechanical... That's more of a computer, but... Yeah. What about the mechanical hand from uh, from Nightmare on Elm Street? Remember? On yeah. uh, the, the hand's a mechanical hand now when it comes to life and starts killing people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I suppose... I, you know, yeah. I think, I think anytime you have the possibility for AI, people get freaked out by that, and that can be enough to scare people. But, yeah, that movie, Deadly Friend, it was... Let me let me just expound on this for a moment. It was a Wes Craven produced. I don't know if he directed it, but he produced it. Just to give you an idea of what we're dealing with in this movie, it starred Matthew Laborato from Little House on the Prairie mm-hmm. and uh, and Anne Ramsey from Throw Mama from the Train and the Goonies. So that's what we're dealing with when we're talking about it's a horror movie. It's like barely a horror movie. Gotcha. Well, I'm going to write down... Deadly Friends and Warm Bodies that you recommended, and uh, thank you guys. What a conversation! You going back and forth, <laughs> and it's all intelligible and uh, fun and, and informative. So thank you very much. Do it again because there's Absolutely. so many movies you guys could comment on oh, even oh, yeah. more fully. So let me ask you a question: Do you have um, do you do you have uh, the internet? The internet? Yeah. Do you watch YouTube? No, I'm a victim of ID fraud, and there's 70 of me out there. Oh, no. Yeah, so I'm under an order from the Postal General Inspector of Providence 
to stay off computers because it would proliferate suspects. Believe it or not, they believe there's a 50% chance that my and others' IDs are usually stole by letter carriers to a third party. Well, unfortunately, I was going to recommend there's a show that we do here on Monday nights uh, with myself and, and Nick Fryer and Wesley Sykes where we just talk about movies going back and forth. But What time? It's, it's on – well, it's on different times on Monday nights, but it's you can only watch it on YouTube or, oh, that or listen would be to it delicious. on podcast. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much for what you did tonight. Do it again. We will. Thank you very much. Good night. Take it easy. And uh, Gary in the chat room just mentioned Frankenhooker. Yes, and I'll yes. never forget that movie just from seeing the 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 box at uh, Blockbuster Video. If you walked by the box, it had the button on it. When you press the button, it would say "Want a date?" Yep. <laughs> I was actually just with them, uh, the cast members from Frankenhooker, uh, about maybe a month ago. They were at a con signing autographs. What a great group of people! All have, of them have you ever met George Hardy? No. So George Hardy is the guy who was in. Troll 2. Okay. Now, we've, I'm sure you guys have all seen the original Troll, Troll movie, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which was not a bad movie. It was one of my was favorites right. when I was a kid. Uh, and I've gone back and I've rewatched it, and I'm like, it's kind of, it's 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 not a horror movie. It's a fantasy movie, but it's, you know, it, it, it has its charms. Troll 2. Kind of like two, Leprechaun? Yeah, but Leprechaun at least is like straight up horror. This is, like, Troll was kind of more like a, it's like a storybook come to life yeah. type movie, even though there's some scary elements to it. But the Troll Two was a very badly made sequel, mm-hmm. and uh, it's about a family that moves to a town called Nilbog, which is goblin backwards, backwards. and it takes them most of the movie to figure that out. Huh. Uh, but anyway, it's, there's like this cheesy scene where the kid's looking in the, the side view mirror of the car and he sees the sign that says Nilbog and it's this goblet. Oh my God, I get it now. But um, oh my God. it's it's very, very bad. And uh, there was a documentary that came out a few years ago called Best Worst Movie because people consider Troll 2 to be the worst movie of all time. And so it's developed a cult following, and people will go out to midnight screenings of it. And this guy, George Hardy, was the actor who played the dad in the movie. And it was like, I think it was like the only movie he ever made. And then he went on to become a dentist. So, like, now he's just, you know, Dr. George. And, <laughs> but he started going to some of these conventions because people love the movie so much. Him. And uh, it's all about, like, it's a great, great movie because, like, you really you love the fact that, like, here's a great comeback story for this guy and everything. But uh, it has this one line in it. Uh, where the dad's yelling at the kid, and uh, basically, like the town is, you know, over the top being hospitable to them because they're going to eat them. Mm-hmm. So, but they're being like really like nice to everybody, and the kid naturally is suspicious because it's always the kid that figures it out before the adults. And the kid's like naturally suspicious, and he's being mean to all the trolls. I think it's because like his grandfather warned him about Nilbog, like his grandfather's ghost came and talked to him about it or whatever. And uh, this all sounds familiar. I think it's I've so seen this. bad. And then, so George Hardy says to him, he goes, you know, they're just being hospitable or something like that. He goes, and you can't piss on hospitality. I won't allow it. <laughs> I think I've seen this. So, yeah, if you ever see George Hardy at a convention, like, everybody makes him, like, Say deliver the line. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, just popped into my head. Best worst movie. See hmm. that? Don't, you don't have to watch Troll 2. Like, in fact, I watched Troll 2 after I saw the documentary because I knew that it existed, but I had never seen it. And you get everything you need out of Troll 2 just watching the documentary. (laughs) 
But yeah, best worst movie. I highly recommend it. All right, I think the I'm just re- reading some of the comments in there. Uh, Gary, next time we do this and we talk horror, you know, cheesy horror movies, we're definitely going to have to have you call in and and be one of our co-hosts. But I think we've probably milked this enough for tonight. Uh, again, no show next week because we'll be at a fundraiser for the Braintree Historical Society. We'll be back the week after that. So you can always get our archives from iTunes, from Spotify, from Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts, you can find the Spooky South Coast podcast. Uh, we thank you all for listening and for checking that out. Send us an email if you're listening around the world. Let us know who you are, where you're listening from, how you listen. Just send us an email, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. That's how you can get a hold of us at any time. And uh, and you can, of course, follow us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, on Instagram. We're all over the place. So until next time, for Matt, for John, for the other Matt, for Stephanie, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk Entertainment, the Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store.